Welcome to the Innovation Roundtable Insights Podcast. This episode was recorded in Copenhagen during the 2017 Innovation Roundtable Summit, where our colleague Leonard sat down with Shannon Deegan, Director of the Program Management Office at Google, to discuss how Google nurtures its culture of innovation through openness and transparency. Shannon talks about the importance of recruiting profiles that are at ease working in a VUCA environment and how to develop leadership skills among all employees. Shannon, thank you very much for joining me in my little uh, backstage studio here at the Innovation Roundtable oh, in, yeah. in Copenhagen. Um, maybe we can start the interview with you just briefly explaining who you are, what company you work for, and then what role you have at sure. the moment. Yeah, my name is Shannon Deegan. I'm at, uh, at Google. I've been at Google for about 10 years. And for the last uh, few years, I've been in the real estate and workplace services group. So all of our corporate real estate but also all the workplace services we talk about that Google's famous for, the, the food programs, the massage programs, all of the stuff that goes into kind of that environment that helps our employees kind of free to be innovative and free to focus on work versus kind of worrying about all the other stuff. So. You've been talking a bit about kind of the, the, the vision and mission that Google is embarking on uh, and constantly working on. Uh, what are um, some of the, what I would describe as innovation principles, you would say, that, uh, that is embedded in the culture? And what, what is kind of the innovation framework, if you... Sure. Yeah, I think for us, what's really important is really about uh, understanding what the mission is um, and then uh, being transparent as we can with employees and then uh, giving employees a voice. So if I was to break down each of those things, our, our mission is, um, you know, to, you know, uh, Get, get, make information as readily available, pull all the information you can in the world together and make it readily accessible to, to, to the world. Um, and I think all of our employees understand that fundamental mission in terms of what it means. And when you look at Google over the course of the 15 to 20 years we've been around, um, every kind of thing we do, whether it's a new acquisition or a new, or a new product that we come out with, is really fundamentally linking back to that core mission, which is kind of you know, whether it's getting into the phone business, it really is, well, that's just another way of the smartphone is now the new way or was the new way of people getting information, accessing it and, and sharing it. And then we do stuff like how do we make Internet accessibility for people all over the world, including in parts of the world that don't have it. Um, so all of those things were really when, when employees understand what they're focused on um, versus kind of, you know, a lot of companies I've been to a lot of times, it's just a couple of core words or a couple of, you know, be leaders, be this, be that. A, a clear mission that understands and everyone can rally behind and understand where we're going is really important. Uh, transparency, we think, is is, is vital. So, um, as you know, as I talked about, our our leaders every week get up in front of employees and talk about, you know, things we're working on, what the vision is, where we're going, where the challenges are, how, how we're doing, um, and they're very open with employees. And employees feel like they're owners of the business as a result. We're, we, they're all part of it. Um, they're trusted to get information that is not public, um, and we trust all of our employees with that information. Um, and engineers have access to our code. Uh, you know, you don't see that in a lot of places. Just there's this fundamental trust, uh, and then the expectation, if we're going to be transparent, uh, there has to be a voice for employees. So how do employees feed back into that, tra you know, it's a transparent environment, so how do they feed back their observations or their ideas or their kind of things that they think could, could change it for the better or, or innovative things that they're thinking about. So we do a lot of things, a lot of tools that we put in place to allow that to happen as well. So those are the three real core tenets that we think through. Um, and then there are parts of each of those things that drive kind of creating an environment where people can be as innovative as possible in a, in a way that 
just allows them to kind of focus on those things and not get pulled into other, other things. Let me ask you a question about, I mean, Google is interesting because it has been growing quite quickly in a short amount of time compared to many uh, other companies that have been around for hundreds of years, or at least 100 years or 150 years in some cases. Um, what do you think was important in terms of culture to maintain that culture that a startup has and that agility? And how has that process been? And, and what were some of the, the challenges, obviously, but also some of the learnings and what you have to get right if you grow to maintain that startup culture? Yeah, I, it's a great question. I think, um, you know, what I've seen in the 10 years, and I, when I joined, it was about 3,000 employees, and now we're about 85,000 employees or 80,000 employees. Um, so I was there for the real core of that growth. And, you know, we didn't always get it right. There were things that, you know, there were periods where you went, yeah, it feels like we're slowing down or it feels like we're not as as cutting edge or as fast as we used to be or as innovative. Um, but it didn't last long. And, w and because we were, we had these, everyone understood the mission. We were very transparent about challenges and what we were thinking. So people, uh, so people talked about these things, that these challenges. We, we do surveys, Google Geist, there's a survey we do every year. Are we as innovative as we were last year or when you joined? Those kind of questions. So we would not just kind of think about it and think, oh, it feels this way. We would actually have you know, results of data that were showing us that others felt the same way, and we could dive in. Um, and then you're giving voice to employees to kind of talk about those things. And so when we had those periods where it just felt a little off, um, we were very good about understanding it and talking openly about it versus trying to, you know, sweep it under the carpet and just kind of, you know, make it work. Um, we made fundamental changes. We were constantly, I mean, I've never been in an organization that reorgs you know, as often as Google does. And, you know, in, in ways that they realize, well, we need to tweak it to go off in this direction. Let's tweak it. Um, and they just do it and they go. So they've kind of, that, that spirit of, you know, fast decisions and, and running that to need, you need to be to be innovative, we also took that to kind of the way we def define our culture and the way we design our, our structure of our organization. And so we've been able to kind of sustain it. Um, you know, in the in the last couple of years, we've come up with we've gone to a goofle alphabet model where you know now you have so that was another attempt to kind of go well we've got some really cool things we're working on that aren't core to that mission but are still really innovative and really cool. Um, let's kind of put them in where they they need to be over here, and then this other stuff we can focus on uh, you know the core stuff over here. Um, so structuring it in a way that allows that agility to continue to happen has been something that I've been impressed just watching our leadership. Um, kind of think through and make those changes. And the the ability to say, hey, I think it's not working, I don't know, on the employee side, the ability of, an, of a leader to go, I think you're right or I see it as well, uh, and then let's come together and fix it is, is to me, is, is, is certainly unprecedented in any company I've been at before, um, which is, allows us to kind of con still continue to feel like a startup when you have 80,000 employees. It still has that feel, which is kind of really unique, right? So. Yeah, now you mentioned that restructuring and also in, term, in, in terms of agility and, and creativity. What other things are important to, to maintain that? I mean, how can big and agile be, uh, be said in one sentence? Uh, what is important? Now you've mentioned that restructuring of, of, uh, of different parts of the company to, to kind of make them more independent, I, I guess. Yeah. But what other parts is in there? Yeah, I think it's a lot of it is, well, we, we talk a lot about hiring and we talk a lot about leadership. And I think... We, 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 we spend a lot of time in the hiring process making sure we're hiring the right people who 
who can think about, and we hire for the person for the job they're going to do next, not necessarily for the job we're hiring them for. We know by the time they show up, after our rigorous process, they're gonna be able to do the job we hire them for. It's that, what can they do after that? Where can they go? And so we're, we're, we're trying to hire people who wanna problem solve, who wanna think about how do we continue to be agile. Um, and then we wanna give leadership, we, we, we're not a very top-down organization. So we allow decisions to be made at all levels. So I think that's another reason we've been able to stay so agile is there's not a lot of everything has to bubble up for somebody to make a decision. Employees feel very empowered to kind of go off and make a call. Um, and so if they think this is the right way to go, um, you know, they can, they can usually start going down that direction. Obviously you put some, some guardrails in place, you know, to make sure that things stay within a certain kind of confines. But for the most part, I think most employees you talk to, and we see this in the survey results, still feel it's a place where they can be innovative and they can make decisions. Um, because I think it's that decision-making process that I think gets, gets lost in big companies. And so we spent a lot of time making sure that people are empowered to make decisions. Right. You, talked, uh, you talked about competencies and, and capabilities also in, in your talk, and obviously there are some skill sets you need for certain roles. Mm -hmm. But what else is important and what is even what might be more important to look for in candidates and the screening process is quite rigorous at, at Google. Um, and what are some of the methods that you're using to figure out if people really fit into that culture sure. that Google has? Yeah, we think about things in four ways. We have four defining characteristics that we, we rate people on in the interview process. Um, general cognitive ability, so how smart someone is. And, and role-related knowledge is the other one. And I, when I compare the two, general cognitive ability is actually more important in the, in the end because I think role-related knowledge, as I said in the talk, is really how the fit for the job we're hiring you for. Um, but as, you know, as we've seen at Google, and I, I certainly am, am, am an example of that as well, people jump around to all different types of opportunities and different jobs in the company, we encourage that. Um, so it's how people think about problem solving, how passionate they are. I mean, we spend a lot of time thinking about somebody's passion for not only what they work on, uh, but just how they are passionate in life because we think there's a real strong correlation to people who are kind of want challenge and want fun. We want people who are comfortable with ambiguity um, because it is a place that it's constantly changing and we're constantly diving off in different directions. Some people that's very uncomfortable for uh, and we want to find in the interview process those people that have demonstrated that that's something that they embrace in their careers. So there are certain, you know, certain other types of environments, certain certain previous experiences that people might bring to the table that they talk through, uh, that kind of show that comfortableness with that ambiguity. Um, so those are those core ones. Then you've got you know leadership that we look at, and we also look at kind of just googliness, which again is that cultural stuff. Um, but it's really that passion that I talked about um, because I, I think. Everyone wants to be surrounded by people that are exciting, excited about what they do and, and what they do outside of Google. And we realize in the, in the, new, the new work environment of, that Google's kind of leading, I think, in a lot of ways, employees, you know, in the old days, you'd put on your suit, you'd go to work, and you were a very different person, and then you might go home for the weekend, and that's when you hung out with your friends, and you were very different. We've, we realize that that's less and less, there's, there's less and less of a demarcation between the two. So how do we embrace employees, encourage employees to embrace their full selves when they're at the office? Um, we think that really helps that creative environment as well and that innovative environment to be surrounded by people that are open about what they're passionate about versus kind of, you know, finding out from somebody very, you know, very quietly after working with them for 10 years that they, they did something external that you never were aware of. We're, we're pretty proud of that and we look for that in many of the employees.
Let me ask you a question about families just uh, in between. That I'm curious, uh, you know, m many have families working at Google, obviously, but how do you incorporate kind of that family life into the into Google? Are there kindergartens? And I haven't heard about that yeah, yet. Yeah, I mean, we have a day we have daycare on campus. Um, in, in in certainly the California one. Uh, two of my two of my kids. I have twins. Uh, I have three kids, but my twins went there. Um, and just a great environment. Uh, you know, kind of fun for them. Um, but in 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 general, it's not so much that we're creating like school systems and stuff for for our employees' kids, but um, there's a real encouragement to bring your kids to work. Um, we do, you know, so it's not uncommon for my kids to come and meet me on a Friday for lunch, you know, um, and just all go out and, and have fun and, and walk around the office and there's, an, you know, people bring dogs and they, so it's not just once a year on bring your kids to work day, they're there. They're, they're, it, it's most, most weeks you'll see some kids in the office who are coming in and, you know, certainly uh, you know, depends on what their school schedules are. Um, but we encourage that, and because we ex we again we want people to feel comfortable with their whole lives. Um, we're also pretty comfortable with with uh, because we're okay with decision making, and we're okay. We don't we trust our employees. There's a lot of trust that goes both ways. We're not looking and saying you work a nine to five job. You need to be here at nine o'clock. If your work schedule and your family life and your home life makes it easier for you to show up for work at ten o'clock. Um, we're fine with that. And, and it doesn't mean you have to then extend the hour on the other end. It could be you're still leaving earlier, um, but you're going to be working at home after the kids are asleep. I mean, that's kind of the mode I got into and in the traffic in, in San Jose or in California was so poor, it was so bad that it got to the point where I'd get up in the morning early, I'd work for a while, then the kids would wake up, I'd help with the kids, get them off to school, and then I'd maybe work a little longer, and then I'd drive to work. Um, one, I got more work done, just getting through emails and stuff, but two, um, I didn't have to suffer through the traffic. I had spent more time with my family. Um, and there wasn't my boss looking, hey, you only showed up at 10 o'clock. What's going on? It was much more of a, that's just kind of the lifestyle you've kind of decided is going to work for you. Um, so that's the way we kind of embrace these things versus kind of, uh, I think, some of the more, you know, programs that we put in place type thing. So. How do you uh, assemble teams, or how are teams kind of how do how they assemble or put together, and how do they evolve? How is that whole process going? I, That's interesting as well. Yeah, and I think you know, I think one when you get hired, you're hired onto a team. But I think once you're there and have established yourself, it's very easy to look at opportunities around the organization and, and figure out what other things you'd like to do. And, and we do so many surveys that are public to employees, so it's very we're very open about. The, these Google Geist results, which are all about manager and leadership and culture and all those things, that as a manager, I want to make sure I'm doing well on all of those surveys that happen almost quarterly, um, because that's going to really dictate who I can get to join my team. So if I'm starting up a new team and I'm going to have, I can maybe build a new team of five or ten people to work on some problem we've identified as an organization or something we want to want to, want to tackle, pulling that team together is going to be a lot harder in a company like Google because people don't just assign you, here's your team, we're going to take these five guys and give them to you. It's very much me out there pitching the idea to come up with the, you know, to find the employees. And so, you know, good managers are the ones that are going to have good teams because, you know, it's, it goes both ways. It's a chicken or egg, right? A good manager is going to have a good team, but, a, but good teams are only, people on good teams are only going to want to join teams that have good managers. So we spend a lot of time helping develop managers to understand that. Um, and so that, and we see that we see the direct correlation with happiness and with innovation and performance is directly correlated to the type of managers on those teams, and people know that, so they look for that. Right? 
Let me ask you a question about in in the uh, in your presentation uh, you said that can you, you're kind of uh, monitoring the culture and and w what is changing, uh, and you you are uh, Google is working in an environment in the technologies that are changing so fast these days. Uh, humans or employees tend to have the tendency not to be able to change uh, very rapidly, so there might be a misfit between kind of the techno technological change and then also the change that humans in general more or less can can adapt to. How do you tackle that kind of miss or do you see that uh, or do you think that uh, employees at, at uh, Google might be easier to adapt and change that at other companies that are more traditional and more slow moving? Yeah, I, I mean first of all I think uh, it's a great question and first of all I think we spend a lot of time in the hiring process hiring people who are comfortable with change and comfortable with that ambiguity is the way we talk about it. So we like to think we're, you know, we're filtering for that early in the process. Um, but you're right, I think, you know, change is still difficult at times. And so I think it's how do you manage that? And, and then over time, I think as an organization, you can figure out people that do really good work but are not as comfortable with, with that kind of rapid change all the time and don't want to be on a new team every six months, those kind of things. And you can, and there are going to be opportunities for those people to kind of really dig in and dig down and stay somewhere where they they're thriving and where it's a, a benefit to them and to Google. Um, so I think we try and match both, um, but I don't see it as a huge. It's not come up as a huge area of discussion. I think part of it is because we are so focused in the process of hiring people who are excited about that opportunity, and and it is. It's a tech world for engineers. It's it's one of the top places to work if you're an engineer, um, and so I think you know we're still a shiny penny is the expression. So we can still we can still spend a lot of time picking the right employees because you know it's a, it's a place where most engineers want to work. Um, so when we're out there interviewing, um, it's easy to kind of filter through that, or or we can we can work through that, and, and people are excited about working there because of the exact of the exact issue of the rapid face of change. Um, it's fun if you embrace it, but for some people it can be overwhelming and we try and spend a lot of time trying to determine as we're talking to people where they fall on that kind of, on that coin, right? If you, in that process of monitoring cultural changes in the organization and you might decide that, that there needs, needs some adaptation or adaption at some point, um, how, what kind of initiatives uh, are you putting in place or how do you think, what were, What were good initiatives or programs or changes to drive culture? You've, you've mentioned space uh, as one, one of the facilitators of that. But what other things do you think is important? If you, there are lots of things, of course, that come together. But the things that you think is important and, and the main drivers of, of culture. Yeah, yeah I, think, you know, I think a big main driver is just kind of everyone knowing what, 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 what the goal is, that whole mission piece. Mm. Um, I think space is important and we can define space as not just the work environment of the physical building but you know the way we create spaces of areas for coffee or lounges or or games rooms and allow people to kind of take a bit of a break and constantly be, and to be talking to people so that there's opportunities for innovation to kind of bubble up through those conversations um, and you know even on the And then on the way you design teams and the way you think about things, and, and it's also about how you how you supplement those teams with technologies. So obviously we're a tech company, but are we making sure that they have the best technologies that are out there? So you know those little things make a difference, especially when you're you're trying to make those 
you're, you're trying to ride that cusp of innovation, you know, because every competitor is out there for it as well. All of those little things together, whether I can get a computer fixed in 10 minutes, if I have a computer problem, whether I can go and get, an, if I want a new mouse or my keyboard's not working, I want a new keyboard, to be able to get those within seconds uh, or minutes versus filling out a form online and getting, I mean, it's all of those things together. It's that bureaucracy stuff that we talk about. I, you know, you, you know, even when we have, we have free, you know, we have laundry facilities, we have gyms, we have all those things. Obviously, the healthy eating and the gyms are all about person's physical fitness, which we think really does drive how they actually perform work-wise as well. You know, if they're healthy, they're going to be a much better, a better employee. I think. Um, but all of those other things, you know, if I can do my laundry, if I can not have to drive to work but jump on a Google bus and, and I can do some emails on the bus, but I also just not dealing with all the traffic and, and can sit there and relax a bit. All of those things we think feed into this kind of environment that it just, it's just a nice place to work. And, it, and all of the little things that are, you often don't think about but add up in the course of a work week are taken away or as much as possible. We think that allows employees to kind of be a little more relaxed and we think employees that are relaxed and happy and healthy are just going to be the, are going to be great employees and are going to be the ones that are going to be in, thinking through innovation because they have the time to. Right? Now, when that hiring process at some point, I'm not sure if it is, uh, if you at some point, or at least maybe an employee that has been hired and, and then sees that there might not, might not be the right place for him or a misfit, he's maybe not willing to adapt to the culture and you can see that in his behavior and, or he's not willing to adapt to the kinds of working styles or right. what do you do with those kind of individuals? Uh, yeah, first off, I think it's, it's always amazed me because I've had those experiences as a manager. I've seen it. Um, it always amazes me is how obvious it is right away um, to both people, I think, to the employee and to, to Googlers. I think, um, one, bec because we spend so much time on the hiring process, I think we generally get it right from our perspective. So when it feels like it didn't go right, you know, it's pretty obvious. Um, and there's always a, a, a quick reflection on, let me pull up that interview packet again. What did I miss? You know, what did, you know, and then you'll so often you'll see, and every time I've had an employee that's usually when it's a new employee I'm talking, yeah. and you go back and you look at the interview process and they've interviewed with five people or four people and there's notes on all the interviews and stuff. And you might see a throwaway comment that just says, you know, fantastic, perfect for the job, hire this person. I'd be a little concerned about this, but it wasn't a big issue, but I noticed it, right? And you always go in the process that, that nobody pays attention to or, or it's kind of everything else over, uh, overrides it. And then it turns out that that's the thing that is, is not making the connection there. So we do see it. Um, we're very quick to talk about it. So I think it's not a comfortable conversation, but it's also not a comfortable position to be in for the employee either, right? So, um, we, we, so we've, we do have people that come in and it just isn't a fit. Um, usually it's they, they're the ones that decide to leave. I mean, again, I think we're still a shiny penny in that we can, that it's a, Google's a good place to be from as well. So if you're looking to leave Google, having Google on your CV as you leave is not necessarily a bad, is, is a good thing, in, in, certainly in the tech world. So we do have employees that just go, it's just not the environment I want. Um, they're pretty, they're usually pretty comfortable finding something else. I think, you know, there's, it doesn't happen often, but I think when it does flare up, people tend to land pretty quickly on their feet. And Google spends a lot of time helping them do that. If there's a mutual agreement that this isn't the right fit for either of us, how do we make that next step for you, you know, as painless as possible and, and, and seamless? So 
Um, it doesn't happen a lot, but when it does, I think we're, we're very quick to talk about it and, and be open about it with the employee and the employee with us, hopefully. Are you looking into those cases case by case? I mean, yeah. then or are you spending a lot of time on why yes, wasn't so we, that a fit? So we do. I mean, that? we always want to be careful about the you know, data points of one, right? So you go, every time I hire somebody from Canada, they don't work, right? It doesn't work out. Um, so you have one data point. So I think we, we leave it to kind of our, our we, have, we have statisticians on staff, even in the hiring process, there's a lot of people that are just there to analyze the data. And we look at success after a year, success after five years. What does it take to be successful? Um, what's interesting it, along that question, and just kind of go off on a bit of a tangent, one of the things we realized a few years ago was it's, it was much more difficult for a senior hire, a person being hired to a senior level role to be successful at Google than it was for somebody who was coming into middle management or junior levels. Um, because we realized, and we, so that was what we learned, and we, we saw that through, there were more people at the senior level who were struggling with the culture and struggling to kind of make it work. Um, and so we realized really, ah, well, these are people that we've spent a lot of time recruiting and they're very senior, we want to make sure it works. So what are we doing to fix that? And what are the problems we're seeing? So it, it was a lot around Google is a very casual environment of casual collisions, which means it's not like I can look up on, the, on a Google org chart and see, oh, I have a question, I talk to this guy. Um, maybe, yeah, that's the guy in the role on paper, but this woman over here in a totally different part of the organization can really get you where you want to go on this stuff. And that was something that those of us who have been at Google a long time just kind of intuitively understood. And we weren't recognizing that new leaders coming in, it's a bigger challenge to fit through, think through. Um, and for them to get the culture as well. It's tough when you come from, we started hiring from telco companies and big, big other, big, you know, big phone companies, big, you know, for all of the different areas we're, we're starting to dive into. And those are very different cultures often from where they're coming. And so to show up and even as excited as they are, but to get here and realize that it's so different. Um, so we've spent a lot of time kind of mentoring new leaders and we put in leadership training classes for new leaders and we've done a lot of stuff to kind of talk through those challenges. And then we as an organization have tried to also spend time articulating the, the different things that we think are, are, you know, they just come naturally, but then you have to realize, yeah, not everyone would know that that woman over there is the woman you got to go to. So how do we kind of capture that a little easier for a new, for a new manager type stuff? So, um, We've tried to address it, and I think the way we look at it is constantly drilling in on the data to see success and why somebody's successful. And in those cases, when somebody hasn't been successful, what's driving it? Because we know they're smart because they made it through the process, and so there's something else going on. Let's figure out what that is. Let me ask you a question about the leaders. I mean, you've been uh, in the presentation. You've been showing kind of what what leaders uh, should have, kind of what traits and and what behavior they should. Um, you are looking for basically. Uh, do you develop those uh, capabilities or traits internally as well? Or are you looking? I mean, obviously, when you hire new people, but when leaders have been with the company a couple of time and this might evolve a bit, do you? Uh, how do you kind of uh, do leadership programs uh, within right. Google, and how do they look like? Yeah, so we spent a lot of time in the, the analytics teams again in, in PeopleOps. Spent a lot of time understanding what makes a good leader, right? So it's easy to say, I think if you and I are just talking about, list, let's list out what we think makes a good leader. Um, we can come up with a list pretty quickly, probably of five or six good attributes, you know, in terms of 
they don't micromanage and you know they empower their employees you know those types of little things they're open and transparent those kind of things um, but when we as, a, as an organization went to the engineering organization and said these are really important things to, to be as a good manager these engineering managers will say, well, prove that. Like, uh, you know, you can't just tell me, I want, a, I want proof of that. Yeah, intuitively it makes sense, but prove it. So we ended up spending a lot of time doing a really deep dive on um, comparing, you know, manager scores. So we had all these feedback scores on managers with performance of teams, performance of managers, all of those things, and finding some real direct correlations to some of the things that intuitively make sense. There were some, you know, there were, I can't recall them all right now, but there was a couple of ancient surprises that came out as well. Um, so what we did is we said, okay, these are the four or five real key qualities for a good manager. Don't micromanage. Uh, be transparent with your teams. Be open. You know, all of those types of things. So then we started offering courses on different elements of those things. And when you would get, you know, every, every six months we do a survey of your, of your own team. They score their manager. And you would get the survey um, of what your team thought of you. And it would score you along those kind of things. You know, you're, you, you need to work on your lack, you, you micromanage a little more than you probably should. So we would then offer a course on how not to micromanage and how to be comfortable in an environment where you don't necessarily know everything that your teams are up to because you should not know everything they're up to. That's kind of, you know, those kind of things. So we've adapted and are offering specific courses. So when somebody's results come in, we go, we've noticed it over the last two two sets of results, you still have this micromanagement issue, we suggest you go take this micromanagement class that talks a bit about how to think about those things. And then we, then we would deliberately put, in that class, they would tell about different behaviors they should look about putting in place uh, to address it. And then we were testing it over time anyway, and you'd see scores get better on those things. And so we figured if we were addressing those and the scores were going up on those different areas in the positive way, um, we were creating better managers, and we saw the performances of those teams, you know, correlated to they got better performance as a team as well. So, um, again, very analytical, but again, in a, in a, in a company that's so engineering driven, um, the only way we can get get employees to kind of buy into those types of things are to prove things analytically. Let me ask you a question about I mean, spirituality is, is in many parts of the world and, and, and different areas is, is an upcoming thing again uh, after, you know, if you look into history. Um, and meditation is, is one part that in the business world, um, in, in the workplace is getting foothold again or, or for, the, for the first time maybe. Um, what does that, meditation or maybe other spiritual methods and methodologies is that something you are looking into? Is that something Google is? Yeah, we have a, I have a colleague who's recently left Google after being there for, I think, 15 years. Chade Menteng is his name. And, and Chade is kind of one of the leaders and pioneers in mindfulness um, and really brought it to Google and started teaching a class on his own at Google around mindfulness, which is this whole kind of being present and, you know, and, and um, started teaching a class that became extremely popular at Google. And it's so popular that he left his engineering job and kind of started running this mi mindfulness because we were seeing real positive results internally uh, from the employees that were taking the class. So, and there was such demand that he kind of went out and created this kind of whole program for teaching this class. Uh, he wrote a book, a best-selling book on it, and, and, and recently finally left Google and he's traveling the world kind of teaching mindfulness. Um, so it's something that we've spent a lot of time thinking through it's, it's, you know, and, and, and embracing, I think. Um, you know, the spirituality was, was the question. I think it's, this mindfulness is a big piece of it. And, and I think there's just a general feeling, I think, at Google, a very openness to people with, you know, different cultures. Different. I mean, 
I think one of the things we're really striving to focus on is diversity and the kind of inclusion at the in the workplace. I mean, it clearly, uh, anything you read talks about the tech tech world is challenged by you know the lack of diversity kind of in, in the Bay Area and in Silicon Valley um, in technology for women and in minorities. And um, we're we're trying as much as we can to kind of make to make real change. Um, but one of the big things we are pretty proud of is this culture of inclusion we have at, at Google for, for people of any kind of background or you know sexual background, those kind of things. So um, it is something we're, we're focused on, uh, but the mindfulness piece was kind of one of those neat ones that came up. Let me ask you a, a practical question um, about the data. Um, let's take the interview process as, as one piece. Uh, as far as I understand, the most um, many of the m most important things are very qualitative in nature, and then you are dealing with like three million three million applications. Of course, the qualitative data is more richer as soon as they get to the next rounds and go to interviews and so on. How do you how do you kind of quantify this qualitative data? You you said you looked into the uh, results and then read uh, the uh, kind of the qualitative piece or the comment yeah. or whatever. How do you do? How do you? Yeah, make so, that there's, there's, so in the process, it'll tell me. You know, we've spent a lot of time. At, at what you know, leadership. What what am I looking for for somebody to be a strong leader? And so we have tables that the you know the the recruit the, 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 the again these we have staff psychologists on 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 in the company and they spend a lot of time with the data. It's the statisticians and doing through all this data, and have come up with tables that say on leadership, you know. Ask a question. Here are some questions you can ask about leadership to dive in, or tell me about leadership, you know, experience you've had. And we would actually on the table look at it for a level for a junior level person. This is a good answer. This is a great answer. This is a home run. You know, knock it out of the park answer. Um, and the same by level, right? So a knock it out of the park home run for a junior person may be a middle a good answer for a senior person. So we have all these tables. And so when you're interviewing. You use those kind of in your in, in, in those kind of tables to understand what you should be scoring. So, it is a it is kind of a, a it's a system where you kind of put them in buckets in terms of a really good answer, or, or, and it was an okay answer, it was a poor answer, you know, kind of things. And then you're kind of attaching in the end, you're kind of attaching a score to that, um, and that's where it, it, it may not make a big difference on a one-off when I look at your score on leadership for you know that kind of thing, but. Over time, with thousands and thousands of applications and 10,000 employees a year, you're able to really, there's a pretty rich data set to really dig into. And that's where we kind of use that data set to score. You know, the people that were, the people that turned out to be our best leaders were the ones who scored at this point or above for the most part. So, or we're good at answering these types of questions. So let's really drive in on, on those. Um, again, very data driven, but it's kind of, to me, it's the way you got to go or, or it gets very, it could be very biased, right, unconsciously. One question about, you've talked about briefly about it, you know, how, how to evaluate performance uh, of, of different, and you talked about a, an abbreviation that I, I can't remember from the, uh, uh, that you put yourself, the 66% of what you are trying to achieve. Yeah, OKRs, That's your yeah, own, yeah, your yeah. OKRs, exactly. Yes, exactly. Uh, your own goals or like, your own achievements that you're looking for within a year, I guess. Uh, and, how do you what other what is it about and and what other parts um, are, are in that in, in terms of evaluating uh, employees who are evaluating them and are they evaluating them you know among themselves in the community and, and how, what different dimensions and perspectives are on that 
Yeah, I mean, you'll sit down with it. We call them OKRs, which are, uh, I forget what they're I forget what the word stands for, but it's basically your performance metrics that you're putting in place, your targets for the year, right? Um, uh, uh, and I'm, I'm completely blanking on what OKRs mean, but, um, but what it basically is, is I, I sit down and I say, in the next quarter or in the next year, I want to build out this program to the point of launching a new product. Um, that's the goal. Um, and I want there to be X thousands of users by the, or X millions of users for the product when, I, when it launches within six months, those kind of things. Um, so teams at the very high level will adopt these kind of OKRs. You know, we're going to, and, and then there'll be sub OKRs to help make sure that as the team, that are kind of cascaded through the team to kind of make sure that that target gets hit. And so then at the end of the year, the team will sit down with the manager and go through and score themselves. And then that in turn will be reviewed by other managers to go, is that the correct score? And kind of, or do they overscore themselves or underscore themselves? So where do we land at the correct score? Um, and that's what's shared publicly. So this was the goal. A, a one, a perfect score would have been to hit all these goals. Um, but, you know, we launched it in the six months. That was a big part of it. But we didn't get the hit rate we thought we were going get, to get, so we missed it by a bit. Um, but it was already an overly aggressive, you know, target anyway. So that's when I talked about the 66%. You ask, we feel that on in general, a 66% hit rate on those big OKRs is pretty good um, because we want people to really stretch. And so we don't want you to go and nail the target every time. And I'm constantly nailing my targets. When you know the the view at Google would be. Well, maybe you need to stretch them a little bit because it's okay not to hit them every time. It's different if you're getting you know low zeros on you know hitting zeros, but it, you should be stretched and go ah next year I got to stretch a little harder, right type thing. So um, there's just it, it's really on the engineering side in particular where you see a lot of these and and they lay it out in very big detail around hit rates, percentages. They you know it's on it, so it's much easier than then measure how they did against those targets, right? Mm -hmm. Last question, Shannon. Uh, it's about innovation in general. Innovation, of course, in the in the ecosystem of Google and the, all the products and, and the technologies. What do you think has changed uh, in from the beginning of Google to today uh, in doing innovation? And and what do you think are some of the reasons for that? Um, it's good. Uh, I think the. The thing that strikes me when I think back, I've been at Google 10 years, is is the pace of innovation. I think when I joined Google, uh, we were all excited. We all got our iPhone. I remember we all getting iPhones. And this was the first smartphone was, you know, 10 years ago. And now you think about what we can do with those smartphones and, you know, and then all of the other stuff we're going in AI and how that's all playing into it. And it, it feels like as fast as it's felt like we've been going as a company, it feels like it's even speeding up even more, right? And and you start, what always amazes me about some of the leadership that I watch, when I watch some of our leaders like Larry and Sergey and, and, and see them in meetings and see them talking about 10 years or 20 years out, when I put that in perspective to 10 years ago, you start realizing how it's starting to come together. So 10 years ago, they were talking about artificial intelligence and how we need to filter that in the search and bring that in the search more. And, and then you're going to have these phones, but think about all the things you could do with these phones. And maybe you don't even need the phones. Maybe we can just go to watch or maybe you can just Google home, you know, all these things. And they would talk about these ideas and you'd be in a meeting and you'd just be, your jaw would be on the floor, um, but you would be just like, how, how do you even get there? And these guys kind of had a vision and they kind of knew like, that's it. That's the, that's where we need to be. Because, yeah, we're, we've developed this search, but 
we need to we need to constantly be iterating on that, and we need to take it. Where can we take it, and where else does it? What else to, can it do for us? Google Translate, when you can now, you know, you talk. I can actually put a headphone in and talk to you in Danish. Um, I can say what I'm saying in English. It translates, and the speaker on my phone reads says the exact same thing to you in Danish. And then when you talk to me back in Danish, it's doing translation at the exact same time you're saying it into my ear. Um, it, in English. That's the type of stuff that you used to see in the movies and these guys are talking about it. So I'm, I'm, I guess it's, I'm, it's not really going to the core of your question, but I think the thing that I've really seen about the innovation is the pace is picked up um, and it's also exciting to be 10 years out and to be able to see the pieces coming together at times where I, at the, 10 years ago, didn't have the vision that these guys had to go, oh, I see how it's all going to fit. Um, and even when they told you, now that you see it, you're just kind of blown away, and I'm blown away by where we're going to be 10 years from now. When you think about the changes from 10 years ago, we didn't even have smartphones, what does that mean for 10 years from now? Uh, that's pretty exciting stuff. Shannon, thank you once again for your presentation and then for that interesting conversation that we just had. It's a pleasure. The video version of this podcast can be accessed via innovationroundtable.online. The Innovation Roundtable online network is your portal to a wide variety of exclusive content, including video presentations, interviews, insights reports, and articles. Not only that, innovationroundtable.online is also a place where you can connect with other corporate innovators, share experiences, request collaborations, and gain inspiration from your peers. Our network is exclusively for innovation practitioners and large firms. So visit innovationroundtable.online to discover more and request your seven-day free trial account.